Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim it upon the rooftops. Good morning, church. Ah, it is beautiful. It's nice and warm this week. Uh, Let's take a moment to say hi to the people sitting next to us, sitting in front of us. If you are new or just visiting today, um, when you walk in, there is a QR code. If you scan that, all the welcome information is there and also a link in order to gather some information so that we could connect with you. So if you are new, please uh, stick around after service. Give us a moment to get to know you, to get to know us, and to field any questions you might have about the church. Uh, This month is actually a very busy month for us. We have a lot of announcements and a lot of things going on. Um, First on the list is on the 17th, next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, we have a joint presence with North Hills Church in in the North Hills room, and that is at... Eight, seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. Uh, that is at seven o'clock. Um, if you go to our church calendar, the the on the calendar, the the title and the date and the time should be right. Okay, it should be right. So I'm gonna go after service, maybe during service, and just verify that. But that is at seven o'clock in the North Hills Chapel. It's just not a regular uh, prayer meeting. It's actually in preparation for our joint worship and joint event coming on the following Sunday. As you all know, we have Fall Fest coming up. Uh, Casey and the children's ministry youth teams are working hard to prepare for that. And so one thing we need is we need some volunteers. It's from 3 to 7, and there's two shifts, the morning shift, I mean the first shift, and the second shift. If you are able to, if you have some free time, please go to the link Go to the QR code and sign up. Whether it's for security, whether it's for games, whether it's for foods, whether it's for ticket sales or, or, or other stuff. We have a lot of opportunities for all of us to get involved in. And it takes a community to reach a community. And so if you're able to, please volunteer for this event. Also, we have a leaders and worship prayer night on 11-17, that's next month. Um, we were supposed to have one. There are some challenges, and so we had to postpone it. The date has been set, so if you are a block leader, a team leader, any type of leader within the church at Rooftop here, please mark your calendars for 11-17th, and that will be on Friday at 7.30. Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes. So we, this is something we take part in every year. Um, we've ordered our shoeboxes. They're on their way here, so they should be here in about a week or two. And then we'll distribute the shoeboxes. These are, um, I don't know if you're too familiar with Operation Shoebox, but it is a global um, operation in which they take these shoeboxes, we fill them up with gifts, and during Christmas time, we send them out to the rest of the world, and they deliver these to children who are in need. However... It's just not a good thing. It's not saying, oh, we need to give kids to these toys to these kids over there that can't afford it. But rather, when they give these shoeboxes, it's an opportunity for them to share the gospel. And it's an outreach event. It's just not giving gifts to kids that are in need, but rather giving an opportunity to share the gift, but share the message of Christ. And this is why we take part in it. So please, um, Operation Shoebox is coming forward. And please be on the lookout for that. And finally, blocks are starting. I've been so excited for weeks. Uh, Blocks are starting. I believe the first block is in about two weeks or this week. And I I don't know about you guys. If you haven't signed up yet, you could contact a block leader personally or connect with me or Pastor Scott to sign up if you haven't. And so we're very excited about blocks. Um, One more special announcement that Pastor Scott is going to be sharing. You would think that we would talk plentily, uh, that we are on the same page. I think I got you, Pastor Roland. 
Um, yeah, this morning, before I get into the Word of God, before we uh, start our new series in the book of Ruth, um, uh, this wasn't long planned, but I thought it was a unique opportunity that kind of came to us. This, this whole thing that was kind of brought to our attention was literally like in minutes in the hallway of this church, and, and we were just talking, and um, you know, I was talking with Pastor Doug from North Hills Church, and he was talking about how he was preparing to go to Africa, um, and you know, I happened to be standing there with my staff members, and then all the next thing you know, it's like, hey, can we go to Africa? I'm like, well, I'm not going to Africa, but can I? And then so literally Casey and I, we were just kind of standing there like, like speed of light. Just what do I do? What do I do? What do I say? And I like, you know, is this, can we do this? Should we do this? And, you know, before I had the chance, I just, the one thought was like, God, is this you perhaps coordinating this? Are you bringing about this opportunity? And, and so literally in like matter of two days and Let's go for it. And then I know that Casey kind of hurriedly um, prepared to go. And this is all like, you know, we have no idea what to expect. And just matter of hours, not even days, that she was able to raise uh, support. And I know on different terms that people got to know and, and see what she was doing. And you guys are probably like, even those that prayed for her, that sent her away, like, you guys probably have no idea. Uh, I'm in the same situation. So... Um, but, but I, again, wanted to pay attention. It's like, you know, I, I know that that moment was divine. I know the circumstances where God had orchestrated. So I thought, hey, um, why don't we invite Casey just for like a few minutes and, and, and be able to listen and, and glean into the testimony and kind of us to be challenged. And if, if for anything else, guys, for, oh, not yet, not yet. If for anything else, you know, <laughs> if for anything else, like, let us be reminded of the global heart that God has. Let us be reminded that Christianity and the journey of faith uh, reaches far beyond these four walls of our own church. And I know, that we, I, I know that we love each other. I know that you love me so much. I know. But it's, I mean, our faith journey with God is so much beyond just this. So today, uh, we're going to dedicate the first few minutes uh, for listening to the testimony from Casey. Let, let's help welcome Casey to the front. Good morning, Rooftop Church. It's so good to see you. I missed you guys so much. Um, yeah, Pastor Scott asked me to share yesterday, and I'm like so excited and blessed to have this testimony to share. Um, so like he said, I went to Uganda for 14 days. Um, with the North Hills team, and honestly had no idea what to expect. Um, because I joined so late, I had missed all of their training meetings, and they have been planning to go for a year in advance, um, but because of an Ebola breakout, they had to postpone. So that's why they went when they did. Um, and so I got to join, had no idea who was going. I knew Pastor Brenda and Pastor Doug on my team, and then the other members, um, not too sure. Um, and so if you know me, you know I have like high-functioning anxiety, so like this was an awesome exercise of faith um, and God working and stretching me um, in different ways. And so um, the trip, in one word, was amazing. Um, God is crazy. He did so many things, but I think there's a few things that I just like wanted to share with you through some slides. Um, we spent two days at a church in Kampala. This is... Okay, this was an act of God. So I had packed my luggage. We could take 50 pounds. The Monday before we were supposed to leave, we were packing our team stuff, and it wouldn't all fit in the bins. So Pastor Doug was challenging us to leave half of our suitcase behind um, so we could fit the stuff, the supplies that we needed to take. And so, of course, I'm going to obey, but, like, in my mind, I'm, like, having a meltdown um, because I had packed everything I needed for 12 days. Um, and so I left half of my suitcase, um, and we packed everything. We all had one luggage and one of those bins. Um, and so it was quite the adventure getting there. We missed our connecting flight to Africa because there was a one-hour um, difference, and it was just bonkers getting there. Um, Brenda, she has a broken foot, um, and so it was, yeah, I have some stories if you want to hear later. So we get to Africa, um, and we spent two days in Kampala at a church called Christ Chapel International, um, and there 
Pastor Richard and Rianne Beaugere are the lead pastors, and we held a women's conference. Um, that's not them, <laughs> um, but the slide that had them. Uh, yeah, so the woman on the, your left is Pastor Rianne gifted, gifted, anointed speaker. Um, and so sh they have a church in Kampala, um, and we hosted a women's conference for them. And so that was the first kind of ministry thing we did. It was a powerful time um, for those women, just empowering them, um, speaking to them, having them share their stories with us. Um, and they're so vulnerable and so open and willing just to let the Lord work. Um, and so, yeah, it was a special way to kick off our trip. Um, and then we went down or up to Gulu, um, which is the second largest city in Uganda. And that's where Kathy Mains, and if you go to the next picture, her husband, Reynold, um, are the co-founders of a organization called World Embrace. So their organization is not um, connected to a specific church, but rather a a network of churches, all churches that believe that Jesus is a Messiah have the same theology as we do, but they're not connected to only one specific church. So they are building a community park in Gulu, um, and the only other one that exists costs $30 to uh, enter per child, per person, um, and these Ugandans are making less than a dollar a day, most of them. And so their first priority is to send their children to school, which they have to pay for, which a lot of them cannot afford. So going to a park for their kids, taking them to a park is like a dream, right? And so Reynold and Kathy are building a community center. Um, and if we just go through the slides pretty quick, this is the main campus. They have a playground here. That's like a treehouse part that's gonna be built. Um, to this side, there's like basketball courts. We can just keep going through the slides. This is, yeah, the tr it's not done yet, um, but the treehouse area for kids. They held their first basketball tournament this past Saturday, um, but those courts got finished while we were there. Next slide, this is for Pastor Scott. That's the future of the jujitsu and gym. Um, and so I prophetically say that we are going as a church to do jujitsu. Peter, you too. <laughs> um, that's gonna be it. Um, so that's the foundation. It's poured. It's going to be built. If we go to the next slide. Um, this is a soccer field that they planted, um, and they're still allocating funds towards. And so we were able to host a soccer clinic for the blind, which sounds really counterintuitive, but they have special balls that have bells inside. Um, and then the goals, they place sound makers so they know where the goals are. And so there's a whole different set of rules. They call it football over there. Um, but it was really, really special to see. Um, these are the least of those in Africa. They are disregarded um, and not really cared for. And so they have their own federation. The man in red on this side, his name is Basil. Hilarious, like so funny. I was in stitches, um, but he's amazing. Like I'm seeing and I can't do the things that he does with a soccer ball. So it was really, really crazy. Um, next slide. This is the back end of the children's center. So this is gonna be called Kids City. Um, and they're gonna build a computer lab, science lab, um, arts and crafts. They have a small movie theater um, just for kids. And so the kids who can't afford to go to school will have an education here um, and it's free. And so um, they're in the process of building that. Next. This is the amphitheater. Um, it's held over 2,000 people before. The women you see up there, um, I will share about, but they are the women that we held the um, seminar for the workshop. Um, and there's about 120 of them there, um, but it's a beautiful space. Um, so well done. And so North Hills actually uh, raised the funds for this and broke ground with them two years ago when they went. Um, so now that's done and um, being used. Next. This is the family center. So this is where we held the actual conference. Um, and it looks kind of small in the picture, but there's like 150 people in under that little hut. Um, and under that hut, it is so cool. There's like a breeze that comes through, beautiful. Um, they will host many, many conferences, hopefully in the future. But this was the first that they held. Um, and North Hills also helped raise funds for this. So it was kind of like a groundbreaking ceremony. Uh, next. 
So this is Pastor Yan, that's Jen. Um, we made bags. So if you supported me financially, this is part of what your um, support went to. We were able to um, host the conference. We are also able to visit a women's prison um, and just provide them with supplies that they need to survive. So feminine products, sugar, um, soap. Um, for the women of the rock quarry, we provided safety goggles and gloves. Um, and so really essential items that they can't afford that are a luxury to them. So here I'm bringing like my bottles of Pantene and soap and all this stuff. And I'm like freaking out that I don't have enough and they have like literally nothing. So perspective on this trip like totally shifted, right? Um, next. So this is the women's conference. Um, all of these women work in a rock quarry. Um, and so what that means is they have no source of income. And from 9 o'clock until right before the sun goes down, they work at a rock quarry. Um, and they are dressed in their very best clothes um, and are attentive and hungry. And some of them know how to write and some of them don't. But we provided a notebook and pen for them to take notes in. And so they're writing like furiously whatever we're talking about. Um, we shared testimony and scripture um, and went through like an acronym pressure. So how do we find God under pressure? How do we react to pressure with the Lord? Um, and so these women, beautiful women, um, they have an amazing heart. So this is just ministry time. Um, so since they were here this day, they couldn't work. Um, and that means that that day's salary is just gone. Um, and so that could mean that their child might not go to school. Um, and so this was a huge sacrifice for them to be there. Um, but they were all so ready and so willing. And so some of them walked miles to get there, um, but it was so worth it for them. Next slide. Okay, so this is one of those moments where God was like Casey. <laughs> um, there was three sisters, um, Anna, Esther, and Precious is in that red dress on the floor. They had never seen paper and pen before. So when I handed them the notebook, um, they just kind of looked at it and didn't know what it was. And they didn't have pens, so I gave them our rooftop pen. So our rooftop pen is now in Africa. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, and I had to show them how to write and how to draw. Um, and so it was one of those moments where, like, yeah, again, perspective change. God, like, how, how, <laughs> how. Um, yeah, but they're so ready to worship. And when they sing, they don't have all of this. It's just their voices. And they clap and they sing with like all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind. Um, and even with the adults, they were all with women. They're three little kids. Um, but they were praising the Lord and lifting their hands and so happy. Um, and I think that's, yeah, God really taught me about how when we abide and we find joy in the Lord that no matter what they face, they're still so happy, and they have so much peace. And this is a war-torn country. They're in civil war for like 10 years, right? Um, they've seen atrocious things. Like one of the women we served with, her name is Agnes. She was taken by Joseph Coney's soldiers, um, and she was asked to chop up her cousin in front of her family. And then after she had to go through that, she had to be a child soldier. Um, and then one of the captains picked her as one of his wives. So you can imagine what that was like for her. Um, she got to the conference, and she had gotten hit by a car a couple days before. Like, she's been through it, right? Um, and during our forgiveness ministry, she spoke. She shared her testimony. And then she wanted to pray for these women, and she got down on her knees and was like crying out to the Lord for these women. It was like one of the most unreal experiences. Um, but just to see her humility and love for the Lord and passion for his people after all that she had seen and all that she had to go through um, was incredible, right? So again, perspective, like, gosh, Casey, <laughs> writing policies isn't so bad, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> okay, next slide. <laughs> um, yeah, so ch they brought their ch children. If they're not able to go to school, they brought them with them. 
Um, and they just hung out. And they were literally sleeping on the floor. Like the floor is pretty much like this in, under that hut. They just put them on the floor to sleep. Um, no cribs, no blankets, no nothing like that. It was just there or they held them. So these are, these are the little ones. Um, we did a little soccer with them or football with them. We gave them snacks. They, they've never drank out of a bottle before. <laughs> so they stuck the whole like head of the bottle in their mouth. It was hilarious. Anyways, <laughs> stories for another time. Um, next slide. Yeah, okay, so the next day we got to visit the women at the rock quarry where they work. Um, and so it was very humbling. They have to pay for their little plot and it's probably like this big, it's not very big. Um, and men carry slabs of um, granite up and they carry it back to their plot and then they break it with hammers. So if you go to the next slide, uh, this is more women and children at the rock quarry. Next slide. So this is what they do. So like the gravel that we see like everywhere, they're making that on a daily basis. And this is not to benefit them, it's to send their children to school. So this doesn't cover like food, all that stuff. It's just so that their kids can get to school. And once their kids do get to school, it's like a hit or miss. The government is not great. The structure there is not great. So if the teacher is terrible, the teacher is terrible. And they're just sitting there, but at least they're somewhere. Um, and so they may or may not get fed. It's just like, yeah, it's not great. Um, but these women sacrifice so much. Um, and so while we were there, they had been so blessed. Um, we also did a tea with them. And so North Hills does tea stuff. I don't know if you guys have seen that before. But they have a huge women's tea. Um, and we brought 150 teacups and saucers. And so um, we served them tea. And then we gave them the teacup and the saucer. And for us, we're like, oh, teacup, saucer, whatever. Um, but to them, it was like their prized possession. Um, and so one of them shared a story that she took it home and their kids, their children saw it and they didn't know what it was. And then she explained, oh, we went to a, um, like a talk with God and you know, we had this conference, yada, yada. And her kids started praising. And so she, they're holding the teacup and she thought they were worshiping the teacup. Um, and then she said, oh, no, no, like, we can't do that. Um, don't worship the teacup. But then they were worshiping God for having favor on them and bringing a teacup into their house. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not praise the Lord for cups in my house. Right? And so, like, the heart that they have is so different, so pure, um, so genuine. Um, and it's for the Lord. And so even like the littlest thing is favor from the Lord and gift from the Lord and they praise God immediately. Um, and so, yeah, she shared the story and then the leader of their tribe, they're a choli, um, they offered World Embrace a truckload of granite, which means like a full day's work for these women that they're just giving. And they're the first group in Uganda to give to World Embrace organization. Um, out of all of like the rich people, the famous people that they've worked with, this is the first group. And they have so little, yet they gave so much. Um, and so it was like a really huge challenge for me um, to see the least of these give the most um, and to really love the Lord that much that they want to do whatever they can um, to see the gospel shared through this community park. Um, and so, yeah, really powerful moment. Um, the love that they have, like, I don't expect them to remember my name, but <laughs> they, they remembered my name. And so when we were walking past their plots, like, oh, beloved Casey, they call you beloved, like, beloved Casey, beloved Casey, like, oh my gosh, like, they know my name, you know, and like, I, I, I don't know. They're so warm, so genuine, um, and so full of love um, that they want to share. And they're not scared to do that, and they don't hold back. Um, they just pour it out. And so I felt like I was being loved by Jesus through them, um, which was super powerful. This is the rock quarry where they get the rock from. That's one of the gentlemen who helps them. Next slide. This is the main market. Um, so this is the outside. And then you, we were walking up a bridge. So this whole building extends um, pretty far. Um, and it's just an open market um, with all sorts of things. So it's, this is like their target. 
Um, except that when we were halfway through, the electricity went out. Uh, and so it was pitch black and kind of scary. And then at that time, like our leader and our people, guides who were with us were like, oh, you, you need to be close. Like, don't go too far. Um, so a little scary, but that's like their daily. Um, and it's a, you can barter and you can trade and stuff, but um, it's just such a different atmosphere being there um, and seeing what the conditions are that they live in. There's not roads that are paved a lot of the time. If they are, they have a lot of potholes. I took a lot of Dramamine while I was there. Um, it was an adventure, to say the least, getting from place to place. Um, but yeah, it's nothing like America, right? And so, again, perspective. Um, my drive to church is like 30 minutes if I take surface streets, but there's they're walking to this community park for like four hours. Um, so yeah, again, just like a moment of humility for me. Um, yeah, and exploring that. Next slide. So these are just pictures of stuff that if you did support um, that that went to. So things for the Children's Center, baked goods, you can just fly through these. Um, for their cafe, they have Reynold and Kathy have a cafe to help generate income to support themselves and the community park. Um, so they have full-time staff from the community that are Choli people, um, and they train and raise up and do discipleship with and leadership training with. Um, more supplies, soccer supplies or football supplies, stuff for bedding um, and sleep situations, more soccer stuff. Yeah, so all of this stuff is things that they asked for. Um, this is, so we had dinner one night and a hippopotamus just walked by. <laughs> it was bonkers, guys, I don't even know. We saw pumbas, we saw elephants, we saw giraffes. It was bonkers. I saw the, I saw the biggest bird of my life. I almost had a heart attack. Um, I was like feet away, like literally this close from a crocodile, alligator. Um, it was amazing. I can show you more pictures later. But all this to say, um, thank you for your support. Thank you for praying. Thank you for being with me there. Um, God did a lot of stuff. And I'm still processing. So if you want to hear more, please ask. I'm always ready to share. Um, but I think the message that I want to share with you is God loves you. Um, and he loves these people. And he's working in very different ways. But let us not be shy or ashamed of the love that we've received. Um, yeah, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to share. It's okay to be a community that supports one another. Ooh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the Acholi people are beautiful people. If we can go as a church, it'd be awesome. They need a jujitsu trainer, so you know. I don't know, just saying. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> I'm just up here to support Casey. Um, I know that in the last 10 minutes, these were just, I mean, what she had seen and encountered in less than two weeks of time and a super fast forward, four times speed, I'm sure she has a lot more to unpack. And, and I'm a huge believer of, man, it, Sometimes things of God is more caught than, than taught. It, it's more than just learning about it. It's, it's catching those moments which God moves so powerfully. And, um, you know, this past week, coincidentally, uh, one of the spiritual giants of our generation um, has passed away. Uh, the founder of Youth with a Mission, a man named Lauren Cunningham, a man who had access to more countries and who had... Uh, been to more countries in a sovereign nation than any other human being on this earth, he passed away. And his vision at the age of 17 was that God had given him the vision of take the gospel to every piece of this land, of the land on this earth. And he had lived, he had dedicated a total 70 years of his life so that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus may be heard all throughout. Casey did spent just two weeks, two weeks, right? It seemed forever, by the way. We missed you. And if we could just take the time, and I'm going to ask Casey to just pray for us, and can we just take the moment to 
I know, I get it. You don't, you don't wake up to dream of being a missionary. I know that. Some of you guys are fearful of leaving Orange County. I get it. <laughs> I get it. But can we just, if I could just ask you to have a heart, have an open heart, say, God, would you just teach me, show me how can take part, how I can take part in what you are so passionate about, bringing the good news of Jesus to everyone in this world. Casey, would you just pray for us? Sure. Glorious Father, we stand before you today um, in awe of who you are. You are a good God, and you are Emmanuel. You're a God of peace. You're a God of love and of joy. You're a good, good Father. And so we're asking, God, as your children, that you would help us to learn how to love just like Jesus did. Yes, God. And God, that we could be brave to take your great name into whatever circles of life that you have placed us. And God, that you would open our hearts to love well. God, to love big, to be passionate for who you are, God. We know, Lord, that we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the resources. We don't have everything figured out. But you have a good plan for every single one of us. And so, God, we're asking for vision, for clarity, for discernment. As we take every step and every breath every day, God, may it be for your glory, but help us, God, to be sensitive to your spirit, to your leading and to your stopping, God, that we would be generous with what we have, that we wouldn't hold tightly onto things, but hold very tightly onto you, God, that we could hunger after your word, Mm -hmm. Father, that we could be rooted in your love. God, I pray that my brothers and sisters here would not close their hearts to missions and the work that you want to do. It doesn't have to be in Uganda. It could be next door. It could be in the room next door, God. It could be their partner at work. Whoever it is, God, would they be bold and courageous and share you wherever they are? Maybe not through words, but through their actions. God, that we could be a community that loves really well. So, Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. We thank you for the work that you will do and that you have done. We praise you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's encourage her again. For All right. Would you meet me in the book of Ruth, chapter 1? Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to just uh, take a few minutes to unpack the first chapter and the first few verses of this book that we're going to explore for the next uh, seven weeks. So Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. It's in the Old Testament. If you don't have your Bible, you can refer to the screen ahead. Can we turn this on too, please? Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now that you have access to the verses, let's take one verse, rotate, I mean, take alternating one verse at a time. This is a reading of God's word. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. When she was left with her two sons, they took for themselves... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> then both Malin and Chilion also died, and, there, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Amen. Amen. So today we embark on a new study in the book of Ruth. And why the book of Ruth, you may ask. Um, It's a little book uh, comprised of only four chapters. And in each length of each chapter is quite short as well. So it's a very brief book. But it's a powerful story of, of God's sovereign presence and provision. And it also talks about, it has to do with the resilience of a woman who refused to give up 
in spite of so many challenges and circumstances where most people in the world would say, you know what, I'm done with. So it speaks not only of God's sovereign providence, but it also speaks of a resilience of a child and a person of God. So for the next week, seven weeks, we're going to unpack. And hopefully that, and, and my prayer is that you will attach yourself to the stories and the narratives of these brief moments of the story of Ruth. And the book's title, uh, um, full title in Hebrew is named after a young woman of Moab. The great grandmother, she happens to be a, a great ancestor of Jesus Christ Himself, so it's a it's a very unknown fact. But if we can show the the, the family tree here, uh, very interesting here. Uh, you see the person of Elimelech, um, Naomi. Uh, the the story opens up with Elimelech, uh, man from Bethlehem, with his wife and two young sons, leave the home country of Bethlehem. And the reason for their departure out of Bethlehem is because there was a great famine in the land of, land of Bethlehem. But Elimelech surely dies after moving the entire family to the land of Moab. And the story continues as the widow now, the mother of two sons, Chilean and Malin, Naomi is tasked with leading the family. Two sons are gone, left with two daughters-in-law. And the chapter opens up, what happens when these people are facing a large crisis? And talk about a rough stretch. So they immigrate to a new land, new culture. Uh, it's a struggle because you had just left uh, being poor. You just, you just left. You could barely eat because there's a famine. You immigrate to a new land. Now your husband dies. On top of that, but you're fortunate enough to have grow your family where two sons are now married off. But those two sons of your own as well, they die shortly after. So you look around, your husband is gone, your grown two men are, uh, two sons are gone, you're left with two daughters-in-law. And just really quickly, I don't know, uh, I mean... No matter how healthy the relationship between the mother-in-law and the two daughters-in-law, I mean, God bless the in-law relationship, but man, I, I, I'm not sure if that's ideal. I, I'm not sure if that's something that we sounded, man, let's go. Maybe I'm the only one here. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that either, right? But you see just incredible response from Naomi, and Naomi, I think rightfully so, uh, and I don't think she suggested out of like spite, out of like, I think she wanted to provide the best for the daughters-in-law who had just lost their young husbands. So Naomi says, you know what? Who knows why all of these things are happening, but I can in my good conscience to, to bring even more challenges to you, and you are a Moabite, this is your homeland. I'm an immigrant. Guess what? Let's make things a little bit easier. So I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I'm going to return to where I came from. And why don't you two stay here in your home country and live better? Because that will be better for your chances and opportunities for the rest of your life. And Ruth, the main character of today's story and this book, uh, comes back with a response that's quite famous, quite unexpected. I'm imagining in the eyes and the perspective of Naomi. This is what Ruth says in verses 16 and 18. When Naomi had just encouraged uh, Ruth to stay back here. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. The Bible is kind of mum about the fact that the Ruth have existing families in that land. And the absence of that tale leads me to at least project that I think there's a good chance that Ruth still had connected families living in the land of Moab. 
But it's interesting to see the response of Ruth saying, I mean, read these words, guys. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. If you go a thousand miles away, in this context, we're talking about Bethlehem. If you say, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, whether it be in the streets, whether it be in the animal's den, whether it be in the open field where hippos are, the lions are, I'm going to go where you go. Check this out. Your people will be my people. And she says, finally, your God will be my God. Man, these are very intimate words, guys. You do not sign off your life to relocate wherever, sign up to the life. I'm pretty sure Ruth had calculated in her head She's not signing up for this because things are going to be better. And can you imagine a lot, just, just a group of three women, that's it, that's all she had. On top of that, she said, you know, your people will be my people. I'm going to assume all of the hardships, all of the responsibilities, and she's attaching herself completely to the person of Naomi. Just a quick note here and the side note. We need to understand the personality and the makeup of the psyche of the person of Ruth. I think from that verse alone, Ruth is a tough person. Ruth is kind of no nonsense. Ruth is incredibly strong in her emotions, and she's incredibly strong, I might say, in her faith as well. She's not no pushover. She not, she's not someone that's going with the flow. She's definitely not going with the flow because going with the flow would have meant her to stay in her comfort zone in the land of Moab. Her commitment is to be recognized here. Ruth is also someone down to go on an adventure. Ruth is someone who is down to sign on to, you know what? I've never done that. I've never been there, but sign me up for it. Guys, we quickly glance at the family tree chart. Ruth ends up becoming the great-grandmother of David. David, as we know, is a direct ancestor, great-great-great-great-grandfather of Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you project it in our minds, Ruth by the way, is the only female mentioned in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1 when we talk about the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. We're talking about Ruth, a foreign woman, a widow, someone who had to glean, someone who had to beg for food. Ruth is that person, but it goes back to the fortitude and the faith and the courage I mean, she had an exciting, I mean, she's like, you know what? I've never been there, but let's go. Maybe I think she had the sense that God was tugging at her heart. And this is what I want to say, guys. Sometimes in our lives, the move of God will not happen unless you and I are willing to sign up for something that we have never, ever done and seen before. Amen? We cannot be afraid of venturing out to the unknown. We cannot be afraid of enduring the famine in our lives and expect God to move in and through us. So the first lesson we take on, God says, you know what? I'm not quitting. I'm committed to you, Lord. He said, God, I want to sign up for an adventure with you. Verse 9, verse 22, and it says this. Finally, so Naomi returns to Bethlehem with Ruth around the time of harvest. So what do you notice here? If you remember Elimelech and Naomi, they leave Bethlehem. Why? What was the cause of the, the, the departure? There was a great what? There was a great famine, meaning they ran out of food. Bethlehem ran out of food, so they left. 
Now, the condition of their return to Bethlehem is not only that they have lost their husbands, it's because now the word was going around that Bethlehem is no longer experiencing famine. Bethlehem has food, more food than where we live. So now they are leaving. So the contingency of their departure and return, the contingency of their main movement and settlement was the famine. It was the food. It was the bread. What does... Man necessitate the most. What do you, what do you and, and I, as human beings, what do we need the most? Before our wonderful spouses, before our kids, what do we need the most? We need what? Three things. Shelter, food, and clothing. And food, one of those primary reasons, is the cause of their movement back to Bethlehem. And God has designed you and I in such that it is impossible to live without food. You know what else God did? I believe God also made us impossible to live without God. Famously, you know, um, you guys know that Blaise Pascal, French mathematician and philosopher, has famously once said, there is in every man a God-shaped vacuum that which only God can fill. I, th- I, for me, being a person of faith and having been a, a, a Christian for now almost 30 years of my life, I attest to that. I think there is, in, in most of us, there's a longing for God. There's a longing for the knowledge of God. There's a longing for the presence of God in our lives. John 6, when Jesus came to minister before he died on the cross, what did he say in John 6, He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst ever again. So interesting, Jesus claims himself as the bread of life. Jesus is indirectly saying, you know what? I know who I am. I know what I'm here, uh, I know what I'm doing here on earth is to provide for you the sense of, you know what, once you get me, it will satisfy the longing in your heart. If Jesus is the bread, if Jesus claims himself as the source of life that without Jesus we cannot survive, I might ask you then, what is the function and the role? Of the church. If Jesus, if Jesus is the bread, I think then our responsibility, our function is what? We're like the bakery. Be it, you could be the Paris baguette, you could be, you know, what is it, 85 degrees, you know, whatever, you could be the restaurant of your choice, but whatever it is, and the main, one of the main functions of the church is that we guarantee the presence of Christ, we guarantee the person of Jesus, the very source of life could be experienced here in the context of church. Verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, There was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Everyone say Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a famous city. Bethlehem happens to become, uh, happens to be what the birthplace of Jesus Christ as well. Check this out. Do you know the literal definition of the city Bethlehem? The word Bethlehem is a Hebrew word. It's actually a, comp- a, a composite of two different words, Beit and Lechem. Beit means house, and Lechem means bread. Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Isn't it ironic that the house of bread had experienced a famine? The very place that is known to have food, the very place that should have food, they experience a great famine. And the great famine caused the people of God to leave the city and the place or the house of bread. I'm going to make the connection here. As we read this passage, I wonder, I wonder if the churches today, 
the very place, if Jesus Christ is the bread himself, then church should be what? The house of bread, the city of God, where the presence of God dwells. And I do wonder what is that we are offering to the world? Are we sure, how sure, how certain are we that we have the person of Jesus, that we have the presence of Jesus Christ here at church? If a random person comes, walks in, is there a sense of experiencing, man, I've encountered Jesus Christ. I've encountered the love that I've been looking for. I now have sense of, of source of life being introduced to me. What I did not have, what I could not have when I walk into the church building, there's a sense of me. Something is filling the void in my heart. Guys, do you guys know the, the, the phrase secret sauce? Where does that come from? Like, what's the secret sauce? Like, you know, it, it comes from actually cooking, right? When something's so good, man, what did you put in there? What's why well, so good? You know, the secret sauce of King Taco is literally the sauce, right? The green sauce. Some of you guys are adventurers like the red sauce. Be careful, though. But that's the secret. When we say, when we look at people like happily married, like, what do they say? They say, man, what's the, what's the secret? What's the, we're asking, what's the secret sauce? What's so unique about you? What is it that make you, what, what is this, what is it? The idea and the secret behind your success, is it not? And as a pastor, in preparation for this message, as one responsible for leading the church, I ask myself the same question. God, what is this? I don't even know if I can say secret sauce, because secret sauce usually refers to something really, really good. I don't even know. I say, God, what is the sauce for rooftop church? For any success, anything that we love and we boast about, we feel proud that we're members of this church. God, what is the secret sauce of this church? It's a short list. It's a short list. I, I thought about, man, God is certainly not the good looks of the pastors. Certainly not. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Guys, I'm just kidding. It's because, you know, you know, did you guys know Pastor Roland is such a jokester? He's like cracking jokes like left and right constantly throughout the day. Like, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's not the love, uh, love and the, it, 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 then I thought, God, is it, like the, is it like the amazing, is it the preaching? Is it the teaching? It's like, well, what is that? I want to say, I think we're pretty, I think we're pretty solid. But that's not secret. God, is it the people? Is it the amazing love and the kindness that I church people? I feel more comfortable saying that. Some of you guys are like, yes, God, that's the secret sauce. Come on, man. Of course it is. not you. It's like, God, is that it? And then I thought about it. I know the word in the street right now is permeating through Orange County. Oh, it's the children's ministry. Oh, finally the secret and the word about Casey has gone out. Uh-huh. Come on, let's keep it a buck here. Some of you guys have invited more people to church in the past few months because of children's ministry. Come on, somebody. Some of you guys are here because, oh, you know, I haven't been to church, but you know what? Kids, prop, kids program is rocking. I said, God, is that the secret sauce? And I have to be honest. God, I'm not, I'm not here to even identify what the secret sauce is. God, but I know what I want the secret sauce to be. I said, God, I don't want any of these reasons to be the reason why people come to my church. I get it, guys. Guys, I put in a lot of time in preparing sermons. I put in a lot of time in preparing Romans Bible study. Sometimes I can't sleep because I'm so nervous and anxious. We put in a lot of thought into, you know, children's ministry program. The worship that we provide. So nice to see you back, man. I said, God, if I could be honest, God, I don't want any of these to be the reasons why people come. God, I want it to be really like 
like mystery. God, I want people to, when they walk in, there's a sense of God being present, a sense of like, man, something is different. I sense it, I experience it, I feel it, and I can't get it anywhere else. It's no other reason than, no, no different thing. It's like, because God has been here. Because God himself dwells among us. God has decided for some odd reason, for whatever reason, he's revealing more and more and more personally. There's a sense of awe. There's a sense of like, man, I can't explain it. It's certainly not the people. It's certainly not the pastor. But you know what? I can't help but to keep going back because I sense the presence of Jesus in everything that they do. I said, God, I want rooftop to be that. God, I want rooftop to be the house of bread where the presence of Jesus is so full, you can't deny it. Are you with me? And I get it. How God discloses himself, how God, there's a difference between God's omnipresence and God's manifest presence. Manifest presence is, all throughout the Bible, is a special, concentrated, focused God decidedly just providing the allocating, you know what? There's my favor. I am choosing to partake in your community. I'm choosing to journey with you. I'm choosing to reveal myself to you in a different way than anywhere else. I get the part that it's on God to decide where that is and how. And I thought about God, is there anything that we can do to change that? Is there anything that we can do on our part? And this is where my charismatic theology background plays a part. I, I'm a believer that I know that we can't change. I, I know that we can't move God. To, I, I can't, we can't force him to do anything. But I know that there are things that we can do as people of God to move the heart of God. And I was reminded of 2 Chronicles chapter 16. For God looks to and fro throughout the earth, throughout the earth, to look for those whose hearts are strongly set upon him, so that he may come and support. God is looking for people who are hungry about God. God, God is looking for people that are committed to him differently. And then I thought about, when, when was the last time we see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that taking place in the Bible? Acts chapter 2. The fire literally came from heaven. People broke out in speaking tongues. People began to prophesy. Healing took place. Miracles took place. Yeah, that was God's sovereign time, and that was God's sovereign choice. That, that, that's why they encountered, they experienced but did you know that, do you know that in Acts chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, that the disciples in secret, they were doing something. Do you know what they're doing? While fearing for their lives that they may be arrested and persecuted, you know what they were doing? They were gathering day after day, praying and worshiping God. And I believe that had a part in the outbreak of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. You don't see the evangelism. You don't see the massive conversions of when Peter preaches the first sermon. Peter is not even preaching that without the gathering and the longing for the Holy Spirit. How do we restore the house, I mean bread, in the house of bread? And I pray in the next season... When you and I imagine together what kind of church we want to be, I pray that you and I could at least desire the same thing. God, I mean, I'm not saying we ignore the programs. I'm not saying we, we, we not do our part in crafting good sermons and, and putting our efforts into children's ministry. But I'm saying on top of these things, or perhaps prior to these things, there should be a sense, God, I want something that I literally cannot get anywhere else. I want something that's not just convenient to my family. I don't want to come just to listen to sermons like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and that's, God, I want to experience you.
God, I'm here because I need your power. I don't need just good advice to add on to my good principles. God, I need you. God, I thirst and hunger after you. In the coming weeks, I pray that we may sign on to the same journey. Whether it be blocks gathering, whether it be Sunday services, whether it be fall fest happening in two weeks, whether it be Romans study, whether it be random lunches after church, that we have this sense of the same longing. The title of today's sermon is Searching for Bread. I'm always searching for bread. I'm always searching for God. I'm hungry, man. Like, God, satisfy me. God, fill my need. God, increase my appetite for you. God, increase my longing and dependence upon you more and more and more. And may 